On some night, some unknown night, gazing off into the sky, men with a knowledge that we no longer possess saw a light that told of something extraordinary. One born king of the Jews. How did they know? What was it about the star? What was it about the light? How did they know it was his star? Oh, the questions we have and the things that we would like to know. What was their reaction? Did one see it first? He couldn't call his friends up on the telephone. How did words circulate among them? How did they coalesce together around the idea that this star belongs to the one born king of the Jews? And there is but one place to go for one who is king of the Jews, and that is Jerusalem. We don't even know where they came from. For years, scholars have offered guesses. Was it ancient Persia? Was it Babylon? Did Daniel in Babylon leave enough information behind that men like those were able to discern that the Messiah would come and perhaps approximately when that arrival would be and what would indicate his coming? We simply don't know. But like scholars are prone to do, we insert knowledge in places where we lack knowledge. Rather than reading out of the scriptures, we tend to read into them. And so, because there are three gifts, maybe that's why we've discerned that there were three wise men. There's even an historical tradition that lists that there were three and gives us names and says that they were kings. That's not scripture. We simply don't know. We want to know more. But what did they know? They knew that that star, whatever its nature, Whatever composed it, whether it was a coming together, a conjunction of heavenly bodies into one bright star, or whether it was simply a miraculous one-time event that God granted, they knew, and they acted on the knowledge they had, and it seems as though they probably journeyed hundreds of miles in order to get to Jerusalem. And over there they caused a stir. They were looking for the one born king of the Jews. And Herod was deeply troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. I mean, when the head guy is upset, everybody's upset. Especially this particular guy who would, who would kill you at the drop of a hat. And as somebody said, he would drop the hat. He was an extraordinarily violent individual. Wicked, evil. Killing his own family if he perceived them to be a threat to his throne. So... He was deeply troubled. And because of his trouble, all Jerusalem was astir. It is a wonder to me that we know about this event. Undoubtedly, the writers of Scripture had some knowledge that was passed down to them, some oral tradition. Perhaps someone had written it. Maybe it was in form of a partial document. We don't know. But as the Holy Spirit gave Matthew inspiration to write on parchment, the record of these events, we know that they are true. We know that this is history, in spite of what skeptics may attempt in their striving to dissuade us from believing the written word. They journeyed to Jerusalem. And the extraordinary thing is, 
As those of you here last week, when we dealt with the prophecy of Bethlehem, there was no question at all about where the king would be born. They didn't have to, in Presbyterian fashion, form a committee that then formed three subcommittees to investigate the various aspects of the matter. All scholars had to do was look to the Old Testament. They knew he would be born in Bethlehem. They knew that's the place that the Messiah would be brought forth. No debate, no discussion, no question. Herod had no intention of worshiping him. He was all about deception. We know the rest of the story and how that he desired only to kill the one he perceived to be a threat. But oh, how we rejoice in knowing that the wicked and evil were no more successful then than they will be in our own day. Despite all attempts to stamp out what God had brought forth, in spite of all efforts to obstruct God's purposes in the world, the Son of God was brought forth and he was raised to manhood to become that sacrificial atoning death upon Calvary's cross. There was absolutely nothing that could keep God from fulfilling his purpose in his son. The one born king of the Jews, in fact, was born and would be raised and would accomplish everything the father had given him to accomplish. All of the stirrings aside. But how is it? How is it that these men, however many there were, and we can only say that there was more than one because magi in the Greek is, after all, in the plural. We don't know how many. More than one. How is it that they journeyed so far with a comparably small amount of information? And yet the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and those who had all of the documents at hand, they had all of the information contained in the Old Testament, would not journey even the seven miles to Bethlehem to see if there might be something to this rumor. How is it that we, not hundreds of miles removed, oh sure we are thousands of miles removed from Bethlehem and Bethlehem, of course, tonight is strangely silent as war there has caused there to be no celebration. But even with that, the celebrations cannot be suppressed. Any believer in any location, whether there's war or peace, celebrates the arrival of the Lord Jesus. We don't have to be at that particular location because Christ, though seated at the right hand of the Father, through the Holy Spirit, is available right where we are. You didn't even have to journey here tonight. I know that's a strange thing for a pastor to say who wants to see seats filled and attendance increase. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to take a journey. You don't have to get on a camel or a donkey or a boat, a bus, a plane. You don't have to travel. He made the journey. Don't you see where wise men traveled hundreds of miles to behold the one born king of the Jews? The real journey was undertaken by the one who laid aside all of the insignia of his true rank, laying aside all the privileges 
of being the second person of the Godhead in order to become a baby, born in such lowly estate, wrapped in swaddling cloths, laid in a manger, because there was no room in the inn. No room for the Son of God. No room for the one born King of the Jews. What a journey he made from the throne of heaven to the ignominy of a manger. And ultimately, as he one day would make his way down the Via Dolorosa to lay down his life for us. We need make no journey. We need only to call to him. For he still comes. By means of the Holy Spirit, he comes. He comes to abide within the heart of any repentant sinner, anyone who, turning from sin and guilt, all of those things that we know deep down we're guilty of that would forever separate us from God, turning from those things to him, we need do nothing else than call on the name of the Lord and we'll be saved. And boy, what a journey. Without traveling anywhere, God ushers us from darkness into light. He bestows upon us a grace that is boundless and gives us a life everlasting. Where are you going to be 10,000 years from now? Oh, we can talk about worshiping the one true and living God who is the light of heaven at this moment and the Lamb who is worthy always, even the one slain before the foundation of the world. We can think of that journey when we'll be before God and see Him as He is and be like His beloved Son. But what will we be doing? We can't even begin to comprehend what that journey will be like. For the Son of God, having condescended to such low estate, laying aside privileges of deity in order to become a man, to achieve for us salvation, he became like us in order that we might ultimately be like him. Oh, what a journey. Getting on a plane years ago, a 747 taking off from Los Angeles. I flew to Australia. This hillbilly from North Carolina, who had never been all that far away from home, suddenly found himself over the trackless Pacific looking at that little map on the back of the seat. And flying over Hawaii at night, I looked out my window and I saw the lights twinkling down there and I thought, well, I may never get this close again, but at least I've seen it. Landing in Australia and then taking another flight to Papua New Guinea. Landing in Port Moresby. And then another flight up to another town, Madang. And from that place, we went out to villages and saw people that I never thought I would get to meet in my life. People who lived a whole half a world away in a different hemisphere almost. They're right there at the equator. People who had come to know the Savior. Because missionaries years ago had made a journey. One man traveling from Korea, learning intently the language of the particular people in the village of Umbaldi. And the wasp papa told me, he came wearing these glasses over his eyes and with these boots on his feet, and they had never seen anything like it. They said, look, he has extra feet. <laughs> He has extra eyes. Suspecting him of being a threat, they determined they were going to kill him. And creeping into his hut at night, 
One was about to plunge a knife into the flesh of the Korean missionary when, behold, he saw those eyeglasses beside the bed and said, He sees us. And they turned and walked out. Slowly over time, they began to listen. As he began to learn their language and speak it, they heard of a Savior who had done the extraordinary. A Savior who had come from heaven even to the most remote place of this island nation of New Guinea, Umbaldi. They didn't think anyone outside of that place even knew it existed. But they came to the realization that one had made the journey. And so many of them became convinced that Jesus not only knew where that village was, he loved the people in it. And as words were read to them in their heart language, the wasp papa, even as a child, hearing this from a Korean missionary speaking his language, surrendered his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we sat there in his hut and as he told that story, it occurred to me, here's my family. Here is a brother in Christ. And I may never see him after this trip, but we're going to be worshiping together in heaven. Oh, what a journey that our Savior has undertaken for our sakes. To accomplish more than all of the United Nations, with billions of dollars at its disposal, attempting to bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men, cannot accomplish in a hundred years what Christ can do in a split second when one is born again into the kingdom and in repentance and faith surrenders life to him because he makes all things new. Oh, what a journey. He's done it all for us. We light candles and we read scripture and we sing songs that bring tears to the preacher's eyes. Because we have someone to celebrate. The world is caught up in the fad of fashion and fame. We like to talk about people who are celebrities. They make the headlines of our news. They don't do anything to be in the headline of the news, except they wear a different color one day. One showed up at a wedding party and wasn't expected. Another one's at a football game. What's she doing there? I'll just go ahead and say it. The older I get, the more I don't care. But Jesus coming to save sinners, there's news. God becoming one of us, there's something extraordinary. I don't need special effects on the movie screen. When I've got the good news of the gospel, and every day I stand in awe and wonder that God would love a sinner like me and become like me in order to redeem me, how is it that such a journey would ever be undertaken? And crowned with such success. And so for all eternity. We'll be praising our Savior. Because he accomplishes what he set out to achieve. No empty campaign promises. No books written with the latest idea in them. Just the same old story. About the grace and mercy of God and a love 
that exceeds all ability to understand it. Oh, what a journey. Won't you join us? Aren't you tired of what life is offering you and experiencing over and over and over the disappointment which comes from unrealized expectations? Isn't it time to look to the one who loves you and will keep on loving you no matter what? The Lord Jesus Christ, who has done no sin, yet in extraordinary fashion became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God through faith in him. What a journey. A life transformed, removing our hopelessness and replacing it with a future and a hope that nothing or no one will ever be able to take away. May the Lord bless you. Whether you've been on this journey for decades or whether you begin tonight, isn't it extraordinary that Christ welcomes one and all? He is the one born King of the Jews, and he forevermore remains our King. Aren't you glad his term will never come to an end? Aren't you thankful he will never face an election? Aren't you thankful that Christ reigns forever and ever and ever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end? Bless his name. Heavenly Father, we thank you, O God, for your gracious kindness to us in giving us your Son. And we pray, O Lord, that the journey he undertook for our sakes will be one that we remember forever and always. That, Lord, the one who delights our hearts and gives joy even to the angels will continually be the one who causes us to stand in awe and amazement to achieve and accomplish more that mortal minds can even begin to comprehend. And yet, it's possible for even a little child to believe it and be united to you through faith in your Son. Oh, Father, grant that we all may, like little children, believe these things and rejoice and give thanks that even the heavens and all of the stars, not just one, but all of them, declare your glory. And so we join in giving you praise, even as the herald angels did long ago. Glory be unto you, always, through Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing that beloved carol. Hark the herald, angels sing.
benediction and then let's all join together in singing the response that stands at a silent night as we give thanks for the one who is the light. May the love of God our Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with and abide with you all now and forevermore and everyone said together. Amen. Amen.